Yo, 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 what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. It's an honor to be in your ears, and the guest today is a stunner. Not only is he a wonderful human, but he's also a badass. He is one of creativity's most creative people in business, 100 people who make advertising great, and about 52 other awards in the creative space. He's my friend Jason Harris, founder and CEO of the award-winning creative agency Mechanism. Um, If you've, I don't know, watched the Super Bowl, then you've seen a bunch of his work on Super Bowl commercials. He also does work for Peloton, Ben & Jerry's, Coors, HBO. Yeah, these are things that you've heard of, right? And he also is one of the people that I look up to as a model of giving back. He donates a huge amount of his time to a thing that he founded called the Creative Alliance, which is... uh, it works for causes that don't actually have enough money to hire agencies. He, he bands together more than 100 agencies and companies to do work for causes that matter. So, of course, Jason is amazing. I'm very inspired by our conversation today for a handful of reasons. One, it's not just the like the gold-plated grit, right? It's not just all the good stuff. We talk about things that are hard in living life as a creator. And we also talk about his new book called The Soulful Art of Persuasion. And I love this book. I got an early copy. I read it. I gave him a blurb for the book because it was so powerful. And what's powerful about persuasion? Well, here's this. You need to be able to persuade people to connect with your ideas if you want to see them out in the world. That can be a creative concept for your client. That can be inside of, if you're an employee at a large company, how to get your ideas filtered up so that your boss or your boss's boss gravitates to them. It's a huge and incredibly useful skill to be persuasive. And there's a, there's a connotation that I say, hmm, persuasion. This is the thing that I love about Jason and this book. It approaches this, uh, this concept from such uh, an honest, a realistic, and, a, and I would say a wholesome way. It, it does this through habits. Like I'm a huge freak about habits. You guys know that. In this interview, we cover a ton of ground. One, Jason's love for the rock band Kiss. Now, not because Kiss are masterful musicians, but because Kiss, as one of the most successful rock bands of all time, they actually didn't do, they didn't create that success purely on the back of their skill as a, as musicians. They used an entire battery of, of tools at their disposal. Things like storytelling and lore and marketing. And these are things that as artists, we all have to do. We all, we, we, if you just make your own work and you do it in your parents' basement and you don't find a way to latch it on to stories and cultural moments and create community around what it is that you're doing, your work's not going to succeed. So we talk about how KISS is the ultimate, perhaps the ultimate vehicle through which to analyze and deconstruct what works and what doesn't. Um, Jason is incredibly honest about the things that have been hard for him in his life about how he has made it as a creative in the classic sense, but that even in his own mind, he's never really done. And is that a good thing or is that uh, something that he struggles with that, you know, never being or feeling enough? I know that really, really resonated with me while we were talking. In short, if you're a creator or an entrepreneur, then getting your ideas out in the world is really, really critical. Jason, the lens of his career and his personal life is a fantastic way to introduce or reintroduce or help you reimagine what's possible for yourself. I can't wait for you to get into this episode. Before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. 
Hey, before we get into today's episode, I got a favor to ask. I've got a new book out. It's called Creative Calling. And of course, I would love for you to pick up a copy or two or 10. But here's why. This is not about a transaction. Of course, I want to sell as many books as I can. But this isn't about my bank account or the publisher. This is about a message and a movement. This is about the fact that there's creativity inside of every person and that if we understand that we each can harness this creativity and use it to channel uh, our, our creativity, not just to make things on a daily basis, yes, that's valuable, but to be able to create the living life that we want for ourselves and ideally for those around us. And right now, everyone has someone in their life who either doesn't identify as a creator or for whom they could use a bump, a nudge, a little bit of a push around their creative calling in life. And it's my hope that this book, I put everything I have into this book, everything. And if you could help me be the messenger for this by delivering them a copy of the book, um, picking up a copy uh, yourself, and of course, sharing that you are reading this book um, with your audience, that would mean everything to me. It's so important that we rally as a community around the ideas that we believe in. And this is my ask to you. So thank you very much. And now, okay, now let's get into today's episode. When's the first time we met? Do you remember? Uh, wait, we're like starting right now? Yes. Jesus, dude. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Yep, this is... Fuck. This is how it goes? This is how oh, it goes. Right. <laughs> um, we first met because... The cops are coming. <laughs> we first met when um, Brandon introduced us because we had one of our first summits. We do... At Mechanism, we do summits every yeah, year. Yeah, that's right where we get all the offices together. Uh-huh. And we, us- we usually get speakers there. We're like, we should have Chase speak. He seems very inspirational. Do you uh, I do remember. And you came and we sat in those chairs. That was in Palm Springs, right? It was right? in Palm Springs. We were probably, we're like 200 people now. We were probably yeah. like 50, yeah. 45. I remember. And you just showed, rolled in and just started talking. Yep. Yeah. And it was like, oh, this guy's awesome. And then you stayed the weekend. Yeah, we did. We hung out a little bit. And you kind of partied a little bit. Kind of? I guess you partied a lot. (laughs) I don't remember. Um, Yeah, and then we became fast friends after that. So when when was uh, Tim's Open the Kimono thing? Was that after that? No, that was before that. That was like a year and a half before that. But we didn't really spend any time together, did we? No, no. no. Got it. Yeah. That's probably where I met Brandon. 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 How come he never did that again, Tim? Uh, must have been hard, low return, because yeah. Tim is very good at... We're talking about Tim Ferriss, y'all. Tim calculates... Yeah. Uh, so Tim is a good friend of ours. I think I would say he is our connection point, actually. Yeah, he, he, would, he would be the one who yeah. introduced us. And, um, yeah, Tim only does things that have the right balance of, like, investment and, and the return on that investment. So yeah. we're talking about a, uh, a gathering that he had called open, Behind the Kimono, Open the Kimono. Open the Kimono which was um, about his experience publishing books, books as a platform, um, and brought a handful of people together from agents and publishers and his influencer funds who might do books. And ironically, that's where where we both met our agent. We have the same book agent. Yeah, Stephen Hanselman. Uh, Yeah. Shout out. Who's also Tim's agent. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) See how this works. Do we just copy Tim? (laughs) That's all we do is copy Tim. Um, Anyway, so 
And this was more than 10 years ago, I would say. Is that fair? Um, yeah, of course. That has to be like 2000, maybe. maybe. I moved here in 2012, and it was like three or four years before that. So let's just say we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. And say 12 uh, years. Okay. So I, And what I knew of you originally was that you had started this creative shop, and the creative shop was this at the intersection of a rapidly emerging field where you saw there was old media, there was new media, there were new vehicles for that media, like these little things called influencers. That's right. And you all were way ahead of the curve. And to be able to have the range that you had by doing YouTube videos really, really early on yeah. on that side of the thing and also doing Super Bowl commercials. Yeah. Um, when you set out to create Mechanism, which is the agency we're, we're sitting at in New York, your baby. Did you have that vision for it, or was it something else? The vision for it was to ha be at the cross-section between digital and content, mm -hmm. which it seems so obvious now. But at the time, there would be people proficient in doing digital, yeah, and then people proficient in like doing film content, yeah, but no one that could like bring those together. So. Our idea at the time was, which was, yeah, 13, 14 years ago, was what if you could just do both of those at the same time? Wouldn't that be amazing? So we hired creators and you know coders and programmers and uh, filmmakers, yeah. and we put them in a room. We started in San Francisco, and we said, yeah. let's all do this thing together. I remember, and that's how we started. I yeah. think fondly of that office. Is it yeah, a couple yeah. different floors? It feels like you're in a little Rubik's Cube. Yeah, it was a little janky. Yeah, no, I yeah. love it though. It's cool. It's got a lot of character. There's like spray paint on the building. <clears throat> um, but then we quickly, as we grew, we evolved uh, into going further up the funnel. So production is really at the end. Yeah. So you, you get with a client. They give you the strategy, the brief. You create a concept off of that. It's like an assembly line. Yep. Then when then when you're done with that, you go into production and you make it, and then you distribute whatever that piece is. Yep. And so we were in that production world, and we wanted to move up the chain where more of the dollars are. Yeah. Which is like coming up with a big idea. Strategy. Strategy. Yeah. Strategy. Big brand ideas. Taking a brand and guiding it for three or four years, yeah. and that's where the the money is. Not, yeah. It's not as much fun necessarily, yeah. as yeah. like we're, we're more makers by trade, Yeah, but that's sort of where the company evolved into. All right, let's now put a pin in that for me, okay, and cool. we're gonna go way back, we're gonna go back. Way back, the way back machine? As literally way back, like childhood, your first oh, shit. creative memories. Where I was creative, yeah. or where I was yeah. sparked to? Uh, yeah, like was it lemonade stand and you were building a cool little business? Were you like a little punk rocker? And I know you have a deep I passion for Kish. Kiss. Kiss, yeah. Kiss is a, a piece of the book. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Jason's new book called The Soulful Art of Persuasion here in a second. But um, and I know I know Kiss is a part of that. So is like music in your in yeah? Your I childhood? think that's sort of where I first. You know, my parents were. Um, they were sort of in academia and they were more book, they read, 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 read. Mm. And I was much more, when I sort of found rock and roll, that's when I like, you know, felt something. Yeah. And rock really sparked me, whether it was, you know, I love punk rock bands yeah. like Fugazi, I love The Clash. 
I grew um, up with all those. Yeah, like Sex just Pistols, Clash, Sex Pistols, Henry just Rollins, like so in- yeah. Yeah. Um, Black Flag. Black Flag was amazing. So just that music of just like three chords like pumping, uh-huh. making you like in your room as a kid like spaz out. <laughs> that, that's sort of what sparked me. And then yeah. as I got a little older, um, Kiss was when I was younger. So I went from like Kiss into like a punk rock phase. And then David Bowie was like the one that mainly inspired me to be creative. Just the way he would always change characters and you weren't sure if he was gay or straight, man or woman. Like just, he would just act and dress to spark conversation. Yeah. And to me that was like, so I was powerful. floored by that. Like I he just did not give a shit. Yeah, and it's is like just uh, awareness of the future of gender fluidity yep. like in the in the 80s yeah that's right yeah like that's so visionary and he started as when he was first um, making music his his record label wanted him to make music under Dave, David Jones was his name and they wanted him to play folk music like Bob Dylan so he did wow. that. He recorded a couple albums like that, and they fucking didn't sell at all. Yeah. And then he said, you know, fuck you, label. Went off and explored his creative side and came back and did, you know, Space Oddity and Ziggy Stardust, and then he just, like, took off. But okay. he, it was the idea of, like, leaning into what you are yeah. and not what someone else wants you to be that changed. That was, like, the switch for him. What is that? What was that for you? Did you feel a lot of pressure as a kid? I, I, I'm really, I'm pulling on this thread a lot lately yeah. because of my book. I explored a lot of that. Yeah. And, and so let's go back to you. Like, what, what were you programmed to be? What was it that your parents and career counselor and, and where was everyone steering you? And where did you, the moment where it clicked in? And you, well, sometimes my, it's early, sometimes it's late. No, mine was more in, um, in college. I was always fascinated by advertising as a kid like um what's something i talk about a lot is you know those kool-aid commercials oh yeah the, yeah the, oh yeah the big yeah, yeah the big kool-aid thing that ran through the wall yeah and, he yeah. would smash through the wall and like <laughs> there'd be like kool-aid dripping out of the top of his head you yeah know? and <laughs> it, was yeah, a, like, it was literally a picture of kool-aid it was a picture of now the kool-aid man's a picture of kool-aid yeah and he's like bigger than the kids and he would bust through the wall and um he thinks he would bust through the wall like they'd be a school dance and he'd like come down through the ceiling and like <laughs> just destroy shit and I was just like that makes me want to have Kool-Aid like there's something to it like that was sort of subconsciously and then my parents were um, academic. academic and they wanted me to either become a teacher or go into like a career that was more defined like become an accountant yeah and so I when I was in college I studied economics. was it literally sorry just to be yeah. a little clear was it was it we think you should be a teacher? Or was it, what do you want to do, Jason? No, it was more... Um, Here, how about this job? You can make this much money. Yeah, sort of. I mean, they weren't necessarily driven by mo- money, they are driven by stability. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're a teacher and you get tenured, you, you don't you never get fired. If you're an accountant or in business world, like the more straight-laced business world, finance, you know, you can make a grip of cash. And so they were. They just wanted me to have stability because they knew I was like a little unpredictable. And so when I went to college, I studied economics. But what I really was into, and so I got that degree for them. Yeah. But what I was really into was art history, 
And so I took like all these art history classes and that sort of was the switch for me where I was like, oh, this is, I want to do something in that creative realm because like art history, I would remember what I was, you know, learning and like really absorb it. Whereas like in a stats class, I was like, standard deviation yeah, like, um, I would just yeah. memorize shit yeah. and it would go in for yeah. the test and then out after the test yeah. and it would just that was it it's amazing how the difference you can just feel it and this is part of like I'm why I'm pulling on this string is because we all have this inside of us yeah. and this is the thing we're supposed to be doing yeah. and was it did, did you feel like was it a, a light switch or was it this process of doing the thing that everybody else like you clearly checked a box you did you did a, an entire degree yeah in econ yeah yeah, okay. that was just me. think about that for I'm a second. How much effort and time and money yeah. went into doing yeah. that, yeah. and who was that for? Not you. Yeah, yeah, it was for your parents. Yeah. And this is like, this is to me fascinating. So, was it a gradual shift, or was there a at the end of college when you'd taken just enough art history classes to realize that you were gifted and you could retain information and you were inspired to keep learning? And was it a switch, or was it a path? No, I think I knew right away. Yeah. Like, I think as soon as the dichotomy of what I was, you know, showing up early for one class prepared, you know, like barely making it to the <laughs> test for the other class, I think I just, I just knew, but I pushed on to get the degree because my parents paid for it. Yeah. Like, it's their degree. Yeah. Like, they invested in it. Yeah. That's their investment. But I wasn't like hemming and hawing about my career. Like, I can't wait to get a job in finance, you know. So I knew when I was going to get out, I was going to look for jobs in, in advertising. And advertising and creative is just something I've always loved. But I also do love, uh, you know, the business side of it. Like yeah. The business side of it, the marketing, the pitching, the, the winning, the selling, like that part of it spoke to me. So as soon as I got out of college, I tried to like get entry jobs at advertising agencies. Does this go back to Kool-Aid Man? You know, yeah, to Kool-Aid Man. Yeah. And I said, well, that's like, it's art. It's art and commerce. Yeah. It's a great blend. It's literally the yeah. background that you studied it's in school. It's what I studied in yeah, school. It's, it's like the blend of those two. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, I didn't want to become like a, I wasn't proficient in art to be like a, you know, famous painter or muralist or something like that. So, but I knew I just loved it. Like I absorbed it. I loved studying it. I, the nuances, like what spoke to people, why that art mattered. So as I moved into that, uh, I got, I just hustled trying to get my entry job into advertising. Cause back then you didn't do like internships, you know, like now yeah. internships are like everything. Yeah, they're, that's how you, you do like a free internship. Yeah. You get your, back then we would like, you know, lifeguard for the summer and, you know, like get <laughs> right. try, not, not related, not to do anything. anything. Yeah, we yeah. would like drink for three months and yeah. then go back to school. Yeah. But now it's like way more intense. Um, so then, uh, got my first job at like an, almost an agency. It was a design firm. And then from there, you know, just kept moving up and got a job in an advertising agency and worked at a ton of them. And then, uh, with some friends when we started Mechanism, sort of took what we learned from other places and we're like, we can do this. Like, we're as smart as those guys, you know? Like, <laughs> they're not that smart. Like, we could do this too. Is, yeah. that, is that something that you have learned, 
that, that when you're standing on the outside and you don't understand it, that these people are not smart? Is it a confidence you have in yourself? What, like, how, like to give me a little more color? No, there. I don't think it's that um, necessarily they're not smart. It's, it's I feel as confident as that person that I can apply those skills. But I wouldn't do, I wouldn't have done that without, you know, getting eight, nine years under your belt. Yeah. You know, you got to learn somewhere yeah. before you just like say, I'm going to start this thing. Yeah. You know, you have to like really learn the craft. You don't yeah. have to master the craft, but yeah. you have to learn the craft. Know enough where to start. Know enough where to start and what you want to do and what culture. That, that place had a good culture. I want to take that piece. That place had a horrible culture. Everyone stabbed each other in the back. I, don't, yeah. I want to leave that piece. So a lot of it is like just the culture and how it works absorbing that yeah. and living it and working really hard at it and then starting something is I think a good approach versus just well I can do it you know but that works for some people too right so I want to to me this is a really easy jumping off point because uh, your new book Soul for yeah. Persuasion um, there's a line in there there's a, there's a principle in there rather yeah. one of the habits of never be closing yeah and I think it's interesting that you have this in, this intersection of art and commerce and embedded in there is relationships. I want to touch on relationships. I want to touch on this never be closing, which is completely different from the madman yeah. like sales universe where you land gigs and a lot of things you just talked about where you like the the strategy and the yeah. chase and the winning and the business and the and before we go there, I want to I want you to look backwards and say what's tell me what's something in this part of your uh, experience where you're trying to figure out who you are, what you're doing, where you're gonna plant your flag that you don't talk about? Like what's the, what's the dark side of that time of your experience? The dark side of before I started something? Or? Yeah, where, where you're figuring your stuff out. You're trying to decide before you start Mechanism yeah. and after you uh, appease your parents, you get the econ degree, you study yeah. some art history. I find that that's a tumultuous period for a lot of people because there's a lot of figuring shit out. Yeah. What's a, some, a couple of maybe one or two like, shadow sides of that time that everybody tends to gold plate that? We're talking about like, oh yeah, and then it was hard in school and then, then I started Mechanism. Right, right, right. And what I find is that there's a lot of soul searching and the people who are listening to this right now a lot of them are in that moment and they're, they're listening to this specifically to figure out what not to do or to also realize that this is some shit that everybody goes through. So yeah, tell, I think, I tell think, me a couple of pieces. Well, I think, um, you know, at that, at that period, you're, like I was fortunate because I had, I knew a path in the like, back of my mind that I wanted to pursue. I was like, okay, I'm going to be in the advertising business somehow. So that was in the back of my mind. Some people don't have that. Some people are like, fuck, I don't know. Like, yeah. And I think the, the balance you always have to strike, even though I knew I was in advertising and I got a, a job at a design firm, which was close, but not what I wanted, I could have stayed there for 10 years, you know, and been very successful there and got paid a, bu a bunch of money. But... You have to, in that period, it's really, really hard because you're very, you don't have a safety net. You know, you don't have a lot of pay, money. You're you getting pay, paid. You paycheck to paycheck. You're living paycheck to paycheck. You're trying to learn. But if you're in that period where 
you're you can live pretty meekly right mm -hmm. and you are living paycheck to paycheck but you're not your focus isn't like on making a ton of money at that point that's the part where you have to be able to be flexible allow yourself to jump around i think that's really important and the dark part like for me i was i stayed at places way too long because i was uh too comfortable to leave mm -hmm. and I, I wish i had jumped around at that point more, more. tasted more things Taste, experienced tasted yeah. more things but i had like a good job and i was like i'll wait till i get like the perfect job but the perfect job eventually never came and i had to leave anyways yeah and so i would just say in that tumultuous period get a lot of flavors and don't don't get locked into something because you could also get locked into an entry-level job and they, those people don't want to move you to a different department, yeah. the department you want to go to. And then all of a sudden, those skills that you acquire are not the skills you want. You know, you start to like build skills in an area that you're just, you it's got not that. It's not going to serve you. It's yeah. not going to serve you. Yeah. And so I think the ability to bounce around and be flexible, even though it's scary as hell, I think is really important. What I didn't do that enough. Yeah. yeah. What was your biggest mistake of that time? You said you like it's very clear that you wanted to, to taste yeah. more, but there's. Did you blow a lot of money? Did you upset somebody? Did you what? What did you think you had done that was not recoverable, or was that not? What did your... I? Um, I think uh, no, no, I wouldn't say not recoverable, but I think one thing in that period when you're younger and you're more unsure of yourself, I don't think I. Um, hustled hard enough to get the gig that I wanted. You know, I like yeah. got cozy in one thing and then I'd set, I'd reach feelers out for things that I wanted, but I didn't strategize, how do I get in front of those people? Like, yeah. what can I send them that will, you know, garner attention or how do I make an appointment? You have to, you have to figure out some lever or way yeah. to get what you want. And I was a little timid, I was scared. Beautiful. This, yeah. to, this yeah. to me, you just said something that resonates with me yeah. and like matches my my experience and my intuition. The more people I talk to, is that there isn't an example that the lives that we stand where we are today and look at, we yeah. would like to be like them or near them or we're inspired by them tomorrow, is uh, like that. That is crafted. That that experience. That David Bowie. Yeah. He's, he did exactly like I'm gonna say David Bowie and Jason Harris are the same person yes. because <laughs> thank God. But but Jason Harris, like David Bowie, was playing folk music yeah. when he shouldn't be playing folk music. Right. Yeah. And at some point you click and you realize that, wait a minute, if I want to be something that I'm not right now, that I have to craft that. That is not gonna happen and, and no you know, you know, it's just so good that you Draw that parallel, because then when he left his label, and David Bowie actually, his first job was in an advertising agency. Um, See, you really are David Bowie. Yeah, uh, but he, he hated it, so that's the difference. But when he, when he was doing music that no one wanted to hear, but his label did, he then quit and did what I was talking about, where he, he went to a Buddhist monastery, he like studied mime, he worked at an experimental arts lab. So he tried all these different flavors to discover 
what he really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then he came back as like reincarnated. And I think that path, I was, I got to where I wanted. I mean, it's interesting that you cue in on that because no one ever talks about that period. It's just like, I went to school, worked my ass off. And then I started Took a risk and started a company. And now look at this office and this is where we are. (laughs) But you miss that part of everyone gets out of school or even if they don't go to school but in that like early 20s where they're like fuck like yeah and here's the I thing i'm not sure i know what i want to do but i kind of know what i want to do but i don't know who i am and are people going to like me and resonate and, yeah. so, but here's the other thing about that period is is you're talking about it like it's a thing that happened to you in your 20s yeah but that that is about to start happening when we're 20s 30s 40s 50s because we're all have to be in a period of constant go back to David Bowie we have yeah. to be in a period of constant reinvention right. just because culture is moving so fast sure. how many people have you know two kids a, a marriage a job a mortgage all these things and then they feel empty inside and then they have to redo this but with all this overhead right so like <laughs> like all, all these like this is this is the future and I think that's part of what I wanted to drill in on this and I know just enough about your background because I've been friends for a yeah. decade to know that it's inspirational as hell for, because there are people who are listening that are in all of those camps right now and they're 50 and talking about what you're thinking and talking about as 20s because they went to school, got the job, you know, they thought they were doing 40 years in the gold watch and they're halfway through there and they just realized that if I am like still doing this in 20 years, like, yeah, I'll jump off a bridge. (laughs) Right. So. That's hard with that overhead though. It is, it's really hard. You, you got to figure that out with the overhead, but you also, you're right. It is, if you still have that feeling and you're whatever in your forties, fifties, you know, you only get one turn. So it's never too late yeah. to like reverse course. And when you reverse course and you have that much EQ experience of life, you can get there quicker, even yeah. though you know you might be older. Yeah. But I think that's that's true. Like if you have a calling, you have to. I mean, you will never be happy. You'll be on your deathbed wishing. Which is the number one regret of yeah. the dying. Yeah. Is that they listen to everybody else, everybody else's plan for their own life rather than pursuing their, their own. own plan, yeah. So I planted the seed earlier. I want to jump to this like never be closing, and it was yeah, like, yeah. wait a minute, a little bit of a non sequitur, but to me, it's a way for us to just like jump to the future. And now, like we're sitting in some of the most beautiful offices that I've ever been in Manhattan that aren't some like trillion dollar brand. Yeah. It's got a ton of character. It feels like you. Um, and I've been in all of your other office spaces in San Francisco and New York, yeah. and they were all awesome as well. But if this is sort of, it just, it feels like you've stepped into your own. And you know, I think this is a great time to open the conversation about your new book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion, with a key principle being never be closing. Yeah. So these things t- seem to be radically juxtaposed. If you're never closing, and here we are in what feels like you're at the apex of your professional career. Yeah. Those things, they don't jive. You shouldn't, you, isn't that how you get here is to always be closing and always be selling and pitching and positioning and striving and wanting and, chase, yeah, and think, chasing? Like, yeah, help, think, me, help me reconcile those two yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive because we're trained, especially in America, on you know, capitalism, we're trained that you have to land the deal, you have to close. And that's really transactional thinking. 
and business today in a world of distrust that is fake news and phishing scams and you know uh what's Google and Facebook doing with my data? You know, like yeah. Alexa's listening in on my conversations. Yep. I think the idea is that the only way to really be successful is to build trust and build relationships for the long haul. And playing the long game might mean you don't close a couple deals here and there, yep. or you don't push for something you wouldn't want to buy yourself, but you're building relationships over time that will pay off with compound interest and you don't know how I mean we've had a relationship for a long time yep. but because of our relationship and we were never transactional with each other like we've done work together with yep. clients for we've sure done yep. you've you know done solids for me when I want you to speak somewhere uh, help me you know talk about the book yep. and I think that, you know our example is just one of you know, thousand relationships yeah. where you're, there's trust and there's camaraderie and we're in it for the long haul. And if you're playing the long game, that's the difference. And if you look at everything as, I need to close this deal to make my numbers, I need this, you know, sign, whatever I can get them to sign off on, if it's not benefiting the other person, that's gonna be one and done. Yeah. And then you're gonna have to start over on a whole new relationship. So that never be closing mindset, I think is really important. And the other thing is, if you if you build a relationship, because in advertising we're pitching clients all the time, and a lot of times we'll get a no, like we didn't win it, someone else won it. Then if you keep that relationship going, eventually, down the road, maybe they'll go somewhere else, or maybe they won't be happy with who they hired, it'll come back to you. But if you shut stuff out and when it's a no, and you turn your back on it, it's gone forever. If you just try to close a deal that might not benefit the other person um, because you are just thinking short term, that will go away. And so that's just that mindset and there's there's habits you can form to think about it that way. And I've built my career on, on doing that for 20 years. That's part of what you were just talking about it through the lens of winning business and I introduced it on, on purpose that way. like when you're never closing, closing is transactional, transactional is business. And what I loved about the book, it, well, I loved many things. First of all, congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's amazing. And I can see you in all of the pages. Um, and it's also beautiful. You can't make a book in a creative profession and, and not, not have it be beautiful. Well. Yeah, yeah that's gorgeous. Like design so, 71. Yeah, nice job. Yeah. Um, but what, one of the, my main takeaways was the strategies that you talk about, they're oriented in business because that's part of, uh, I think, your audience and that you're, that you're writing this book for, but it's life. Yeah. Like to me, that, that was just so resonant. These are like, yeah. we've, you framed it in strategies for business, but it might as well have been a personal development or growth book yeah, yeah. that had business applications as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, it's really a book about building habits that create your character for, I mean, it is personal growth and business success. Yeah. I mean, it's both, but you know, the, the power of storytelling is yeah. really important. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna go to stories next. Oh, so, we are, okay, yeah. cool, great. So, um, I remember, um, go back to when we first met and you'd invited me to come to Palm Springs and yeah. talk to your, at your annual offsite. Yeah. Um, and, that was a very long time ago. And <laughs> when 
I said, hey, like, I'm happy to come. What's, what are we gonna, what do you want me to talk about? And I remember, like, and this is, it made a very strong impression on me when I picked up the book, because you told me then, this was 10 years ago, just tell stories. Yeah. And so storytelling is clearly in your DNA. And I want to know how that guides your life, how it guides business, and how do you, how do you work on that as a skill? Yeah, so um, the idea is that, you know, this book is about persuasion, which is, you could call it like selling or pitching. Storytelling to me is just a fundamental, like if you don't have that skill, it's very, very hard to persuade people in any shape of life, whether yeah. it's business or personal. And there's, um, I always use this from um, this guy, Jonathan Haidt, who said that, he's a psychologist, and he said that um, the mind is a story processor, not a logic processor. And the way we retain information and set our values and beliefs is through storytelling. And we are the only species in the universe that can tell stories. Like, that's what makes us different from every other species. And storytelling is, you've seen it through every, I mean, it's how religions are formed. It's how the best, most prolific speakers from Martin Luther King, uh, you know, down to, to, to Lincoln, like that, they are storytellers at, at heart. And the most successful people that stand the test of time, Muhammad Ali, they're all storytellers at the heart of it. And so storytelling, like anything, is a skill that you can practice and study. And it can be stories that come from your own experience, or it can be stories that are known. It could be a story that people identify or have heard before, and you retain it and you remember it. It could be role models that you follow. But stories, as a combination of who you are as a person, are just very important to have at the ready and study and memorize and sort of get get under your belt. What are some of your go-to stories? I mean, I talk about, I, I love, uh, I love stories that are driven by pop culture. So I talk a lot about, like I just, Muhammad Ali's like one of my favorites of all time. Like I just, You've got a, yeah, we were just in Jason. So again, we're at the Mechanism offices in New York and we were just in Jason's office, your individual space, yeah. and you got the Muhammad Ali poster behind you there. What's this? What's this? I story? just no, just the, the his just whole journey of um, he married. You know, he's a person that married skill and purpose, which is another thing I talk about in the book. And his he's known as like the greatest of all time, and his skill as a boxer was just unprecedented. And when he, as a Muslim, decided that he didn't want to get drafted and fight in Vietnam. He was banned from boxing for five years. Couldn't compete anywhere in the, in the world because they wouldn't let him out of the country. And so when he was at that age where he was at his top, he was at his physical peak in his you know, late, late 20s, having that stripped from him, imagine anyone else would have just said, okay, I'll take some desk job for a year and go back to boxing. And he, he became destitute, lost all his money. He had a family. And then he went all the way to Supreme Court and then he was able to box again. And when he came back to boxing, 
he was older. I mean, at the time, like when you're in your 30s, so now boxer, it's okay, yeah. but back, back maybe. Yeah. But back then, like you weren't boxing yeah. in your 30s. Yeah. And he just came back and with a vengeance and, and overcame. And the power that, the reason why he's not as great of all time is because he was a great boxer. But because he stuck to his belief system and spoke out of, against a war that he didn't believe in, that is the power of Muhammad Ali. You know, he, he's it's a sort combo of, of these things. His yeah. skill yeah. and purpose yeah. is what creates legends. And if you don't have both, then you're just you know good at what you do, or you have a set of beliefs. But if you can combine those two things together, then you've that's legacy. That's yeah. legacy. Yeah. Then you've got something. Yeah. Talk to me about Kiss. Kiss is a phenomenal yeah. example in the book, and they there's so many different lenses you can look at them through. And I, I know that they influenced you as a young kid. Yeah. We talked about that, but um, why are they a great example to be in the book? So I think it's very unexpected, which is what I love. Yeah, when, it, when I think about KISS, KISS influenced me as a kid um, because I was sort of, I was trying to find my tribe, I was a little awkward, I wasn't in the city with my parents in the living room and like pouring through classic books like literature and when I st started playing KISS in my room, I, I mean their music's like mediocre. <laughs> like it's really not it's not like Kiss this is, is I was gonna go there it's cool I'm glad you Kiss did. is not an amazing band right but they are um, but they're an amazing band they're an amazing band they're an amazing brand too yeah I think that's a really they're not an amazing band they're an amazing brand they are an amazing yeah. brand and they have sold more gold albums than any uh, rock band in America from America and the reason is story because they started playing in uh, New York bars for 20 people and now they I saw them, my kids first concert I took them to see Kiss <laughs> and it was 20,000 people and so the, the way they did that the way they cracked it wasn't because they wrote the best they weren't the Beatles you know they didn't write like the best fucking songs in the world but they created mythology and story and they created this look and this performance and they created the spaceman, the catman, the demon, the lover, all this, they were from another planet and they created this background story. They created action figures and comic books and art, album art, and they sold kiss condoms. They sold kiss coffins. They just sold every fucking thing you can think of. And they created the kiss army, which I was in, which was really the world's first influencer network. And we would call radio stations and harass them to play Kiss songs because we were so diehard Kiss. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and they would mail us like decals and like handwritten notes that obviously they didn't write. But, you know, <laughs> they, they created like you would join the Kiss Army and you would yeah. become a member of the Kiss Army. And it was a network all across the, the well, country and then the world that they would just you know, they had a mailing list and they would just fire it off, just like you would do like an email blast now. That's what they did back then. And they did it all through like the power of story and they would write these fantastical stories about where they were from and their characters. And that mythology took a shitty, you know, long-haired bunch of musicians from playing very okay songs to no one, but the power of story took them to, you know, where they are now. So the book has got uh, four 
principles. Key principles. Yeah. And I'm gonna, I wanna just take a spin sure. through each of the four of them. Spin so them. It, spin it's them. originality, generosity, empathy, soulfulness. And yeah. again, you say original, generous, empathetic, soulful. Those are the principles. Um, walk me through like why, why those four and like it's just a really helpful framework for the book and I, I want you to share a little bit. Sure, so I thought about how, you know, if I was looking at putting my 20 years of business experience and life experience down on paper, what are the four sort of, what are the key tenets that um, help me be successful? And those are them, you know, original is the Bowie idea. It's the idea that we talked about, which is uh, be yourself, everyone else is taken. You know, that famous Oscar Wilde line. You have to lean into knowing who you are and being unapologetic about it. And those habits that you can do to lean into those. And that took me some time, you know, it took me into my probably late 20s to figure that piece out. And then, and then the idea of um, generous, that's really all about uh, giving, always, constantly, habitually giving things away without expecting anything in return. And it can be your time, your advice, your passion. Sometimes it's a gift, you know, sometimes it's uh, attention, sometimes it's, um, you know, a, 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 hey, I'll send you a text because I'm thinking about you. But it's this idea of habitually being a generous person and giving without thinking about getting anything back. But you will end up getting a, a lot back in return. Yeah. But you're not thinking about it that way. And then empathetic is really knowing your audience and not thinking about things from a self-centered standpoint. But That's like your point about the business deal. Like it has to be good for the other it person. It has to be good. Like right. never, you know, never sell something that you wouldn't buy yourself, you know, understanding the other's perspective. And then soulfulness is that Muhammad Ali idea, which is like, think about skill and think about purpose and think about what you can do that's adding to the world, like doing something positive, a positive impact to the world. And so one thing that we always talk about is like, if you put on a piece of paper, three things you're really good at and three things that you care about, and you look at those pieces long enough, you'll figure out a way to marry your skill with, with your purpose, and that's, that's where the power is. And so really, there's under those, there, those four principles, there's habits you can follow that I think help both on a personal and business level. What, but if, you, if you looked at your list of things, what would, those, what would your list be? Your very own prescription, like let's take take your own medicine right now. Oh well, the three, I mean, the three things that you're. I brought that to life through something that you're a part of, which is the Creative Alliance. Yep. So that my you know my skills are, you know, advertising, obviously advertising, business consulting, and uh, what's another skill that I have? Um, dancer, really good dancer. Good dancer. Good. Yeah. Good. You're good in the at the at the. Uh, Horse, horse rink where you're right around the horse arena. Oh, the horse arena? Yeah. So, okay, and then horse arena's third. And then what, you know, things I care about, I care about uh, I'm deeply into the sort of um, idea of social good and, you know, equality and anti-hate and things like that. Yeah. 
And so when I mirror advertising and that together, you know, we created something where we have a list of companies that do campaigns to help give back and social good. And so that's an example. I think, but that's the perfect example. Yeah. Um, and I think this is, um, it reveals more than just a list of things on paper because yeah. there's, um, you've put a ton of effort to add a little more color to, so that folks can grab onto this example. This, the Creative Alliance is, I don't know how many companies, like 50, 90. 90, I was gonna yeah. say 50, 90, 90 companies, companies of which uh, you created this and of which Creative Live is, is one of the, uh, one of those 90 companies. And I have had the good fortune of participating with you in things like It's On Us, yeah. just ending violence against uh, sexual, assault. Yeah, sexual assault on college campuses. Yeah. Um, taking advertising with something that you, a cause that you really believe in. And you started from zero. Like yeah. that's, it's not like, and now there's 90 companies and how many campaigns and what you've got, and you know, like 12 campaigns, 12 campaigns yeah. I mean, with like the president yeah. and the vice president. Yeah. I've got a great picture of you sitting on Air Force Two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, you started that from zero. It, what, what has driven you to do that? I think the idea that um, money and success in businesses good but limiting and if we're if we're going around in this uh skin bag one time <laughs> skin bag <laughs> i think you have to um you have to be driven more than by by money and it's a cathartic thing when you feel like you're putting your skills to use that um help other people so i just you know Sheer kind of will push yeah. that thing forward. And what what role is? And it's amazing when you, yeah. when when people. It's amazing how many people when you know what you want to do and you have a purpose, how many people want to help you and join, because they also want that outlet. You know, people the humans just crave that necessity of like doing something bigger than themselves. And recruiting people has been much easier than I would ever think, you know, do some free work, help the world, but it's not paid, you know, <laughs> like, fuck you. <laughs> uh, but it, people, you know, people need it, especially in the times we're in now. Yeah, that's, say more on that, yeah. because I, I think this is, there's a key operating principle here, and I don't know if it's connection or reciprocity or what it is, but just, keep talking to me about this, like when you start building something that yeah. others can smell it and want to be a part of it. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I do talk about the, some of this in the book, but I think collab, the collaboration imperative is something that I talk about, which is you, if you know and you have an idea. This that, is part of the empathetic principle. Yeah, right? it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a for good necessarily, but the idea of collaboration is when you know what you want to do, you, you have a vision, you have to let other people help you on that quest and you have to know how to ask for that help. And it can't be, it can't be based on, I want to be successful because this dude put me down my whole life or I want to be successful because 
I want to show that person. Mom, mom and dad said I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's not, that's, that's not, that's futile, you know? It has to be, I want to do this because this is right for me, and I'm going to let people help me, and I'm going to ask for help. And when you ask for help, you'd be surprised at where that can take you. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't be anywhere if I wasn't asking for help all the time. But what's an example of a time where you didn't ask for help? When I didn't ask for help? God yeah. Because um, you always get asked in all the other interviews that I've heard. You just did the Adam Carolla show. Yeah. And you, all, you get asked all the obvious questions. I want to know, like, when, when's the time you fucked it up and you should have asked for help? You didn't, and it was too late when you figured out that you needed help. Well, like, well from a business standpoint, I, I had started a business before, um, before uh, joining, you know, Mechanism with, with, the, with the guys um, that are all still here. And I did it, I did a business all on my own. And I had, I wanted just, I had this pride. I don't know about this. Yeah, business. yeah, I had this pride where I could just do it without anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing the like, producing, the invoicing, like the pitching. And I had this like thing inside me where I just was like, I'm gonna do it all myself. Like I'm gonna start this thing, I'm gonna do it myself, and I don't need fucking help from anyone. And the world can like, totally fuck off and I did that for about a year and a half and I almost had like a nervous breakdown because it was so there was so much on my shoulders that I wasn't sharing with anyone else that um, I eventually like just shut that thing down because I couldn't take it any longer what wh I couldn't bear it why did you what was the chip on your shoulder that made you do stupid shit um, I think the chip on my shoulder was just this self-imposed idea that um, I was gonna be this like entrepreneur and I was gonna do it all on my own. And I don't know that there was like a catalyst, like I got in a fight with someone or whatever. I did, I did work at, a, at an agency prior that I didn't like the way they sort of treated people and there's a lot of politics and egos and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm just gonna do this thing on my own and I can do it and fuck everyone else. And it was a place where I think I was trying to collaborate and collaboration wasn't warmly accepted. And oh, I, it was a response to that. So it was a probably a response to that. And then I realized like, you can't, you cannot be successful in your own bubble without extending your arm to get some help. And also when other people need your help, you have to also reciprocate that. Um, but that was that was a time when I did not live the principles that I talk about. So the title of the book is the soulful yeah. art of persuasion. So what's talk to me about the soulful part because persuasion is basically helping people understand ideas or getting them to join your team yeah. or a lot of the principles we've talked about. Yeah. Talk to me about. I mean, on the obvious, like because persuasion as a word sounds too dirty by itself so you had to cover it up but that's not what I feel like I know you really well so I know that that's yeah. not just like a, a, a veneer yeah no I think the the idea is that persuasion is a very loaded word and it shouldn't be because persuasion is really about um, understanding the other side the other, other side understanding you and trying to get people to come over to your way of thinking on their own without it's about um, 
pulling them, not pushing them. And I think the soulful piece is about displaying characteristics and living in a way that is, uh, is for lack of a better word, is soulful, it's empathetic, it's generous. And if you display those characters, you're gonna be in a great position to be successful and persuade. And so soulful sort of that combination of all those principles. And is that a, was that a learned behavior for you, uh, all oh, this? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you don't pop out of the womb like, oh man. Full of soul. <laughs> this is how I got it, I got it, yeah. But I think there's characteristics that, and habits that you might naturally have, and there's other ones you need to work on. There's 11 habits in the book. Mm -hmm. And some of them you would naturally have, and some of them you need to learn, like anything else. You might be a natural uh, storyteller, but you might be a pessimistic person by nature. So can you learn to be a, a positive, uh, the pull of positivity, can you learn to be more of a positive person by nature? And you, you can, it's a habit that you can learn like anything else. So there's 11 of those that I feel make up the idea of, of soulful persuasion. Under soulful in the book, you've got a, a habit around personal Jesus. Yeah, yeah, per <laughs> personal Jesus is, <laughs> understanding what motivates you, what your higher purpose is, what you care about in the world, and understanding what that is, like that's important. How do you develop that habit? Because to me that's like, isn't that the lens through which we should all be looking at our lives all the time? Because then it has more meaning and we're not doing things that don't align with our values. And so what's the, give us the takeaway. Yeah, I mean, on. I think that the habit is, is to, you know, consistently look at um, what matters to you, like what you care about. And there's, uh, there's certain ways you can do that, like weekly, and whatever frequency might be right for you. There's actually, you know, there's, there's ways to, to, to journal those things, those values that you care about. But you have to do it like on repeat and consistently. And if yeah. you think you're gonna, Oh, just one day on a plane, I'll start thinking about it. It has to become, <laughs> like in the calendar, it has to be a habit that you're constantly honing in on uh, to get those beliefs down. All right, so you've written this book. Yeah. You've got 11 habits. Yeah. Chronicled, as you said, sort of like this is, we were joking before we started recording, this is like adult business card. Yeah. This is, you know, a career of not just business, but of life. Yeah. And you've packaged it nicely. What are your daily habits that have nothing to do with this book? Shit, nothing? Nothing to do with this book. Or, I mean, I'm not trying to exclude, but like they're not written, you, you do them every day, but it's not about the book. I'm trying to find like, what are the habits that underpin Jason Harris? Oh, okay. Not Jason Harris, the author who's writing a book. Jason Harris, the person who just woke up, arrived here early this morning, eating eggs out of a, a uh, cardboard container from Whole Foods or something like that it looked yeah. like and like I just want to know what, what are some habits because I've learned over time there's a lot of really uh, consistent threads among the top performers that I've had on the show and I'm curious what you're I mean I don't it's there's nothing breakthrough about my um, my the way I the way I wake up but you know I have it's not about waking up I'm yeah, just like what are some what are some habits that you feel like you have mastered or that are a part of your routine? 
And does it have to be in the daytime or it can be anytime? Any, anytime. Um, well, I sort of, I always, I work out as much as I can in the morning. Uh, why is that? Why? Yeah. Because uh, I get, by the end of the day, I don't have it in me to do it properly. Um, and so that's probably like five, five days a week as soon as I wake up. It's like workout in some form. And what's your workout? Is it usually weights usually outside? Boxing. Yeah, boxing. It's usually boxing, hitting mitts, hitting the heavy bag, um, doing some kind of cardio, like 40, 45 minutes or so. Sometimes it's weights, uh, sometimes it's a Peloton bike ride. Um, but it's got to be five days a week. And you can fit, you can move those days around, but it has to be consistent five days a week. So that's kind of one thing. And then the other thing that is sounds really like new agey but is really really important is every sunday night um with my with my two kids we sit down and we have a like a gratitude journal and we each write down three things from the week that we're thankful for and then read them to each other and that practice uh is keeps you grounded it keeps you happy and optimistic but it's also a shared experience. You're not just doing it on your own. Yeah, this is something I have not heard people do with their kids. Yeah, cool. so I do it with my kids and it makes them uh, think about their world in a bigger way. You know, because they're writing down things that sometimes are tiny, like, oh, I got to play soccer for two hours. And sometimes it's, uh, it's, bi it's, it's a big idea on um, the way, you know, they treated someone or someone did something for them that opens up like a bigger dialogue. So that's another, that's just like the Sunday night habit that I think sets up for a good week. So those, those are kind of two really consistent habits um, that I have, yeah. How about, so at, at work, one of the things that I've always admired is you, we talked a little bit about you sharing the, the gift of travel, the yeah. gift of connection with your team. like. The culture here at Mechanism is just insane. It's, it's amazing, and that is a huge testament to the leader. Yeah. What do you do to facilitate that? Like, you, you know, we talked about retreats, and I know that, yes. you, um, that you value inspiring and training your employees. You give them uh, assets. Assets and, to creative yeah, life. Yeah, for sure. For example, but I mean, like, yeah. I, just, that's, I just know that you care about that, that that's a yeah. thing. Yeah. And, um, how and like A, why and B, how do you provide that for your people? Yeah, well, I think um, one sort of fundamental idea mechanism is that there's no second class citizens. Like a good idea can come from anywhere and doesn't matter your level or if you're C-suite or if you're in finance or wherever you might be, we really, the culture is really that we treat everyone the same. Like... Everyone's on the same level. No one's, you know, of course, some people make bigger decisions that impact the company than other people have the ability sure. to. Sure, some people make, take a bigger paycheck on that. Right. But the idea of like no second class citizens is really important. And so we want people um, at our, you know, we have Mech Monday meetings where we video, we video conference in all four offices and we all sort of update everyone on, on what's happening that week. We want, we pass that around so like different people get to lead that and present it. And so there's not like one leader, there's the whole company is the leader. And so um, we expect everyone to be able to stand up 
and talk and bring their full personality to a presentation, to the office, to the work. So I think those are like two really important characteristics. Like completely be yourself, which is in the book. Like yeah. we in want space, we want right. to hire people that are completely unapologetically unique, unapologetically them. And the idea is that no second class citizens, we're all, everyone here is like on equal footing. Um, those sort of two principles are really important. So you have taken a culture, created a company that is, has won so many awards, Super Bowl commercials, yeah. um, viral videos. We can always win more awards. You can always win more awards. Yeah, yeah. One more awards, okay, noted. The folks who who work at Google and GE yeah. and whatever Nike that are listening to this right now, they're gonna they're knocking down your door right now. Um, but what I'm trying to also balance is that, despite all of the success, yeah, there's hard hard stuff is yeah. always going on. Yeah. So for whether it's your employees or for the people who are listening and watching and right now like on your website or buying a copy of the book, like bring us down to ground floor, like what's what's hard in Jason Harris's life right now? What's like- Like hard in my personal life or hard in my business it, life? It, yeah, just, yeah, just like I, I, I wanna understand. What it, I have a hard time with is, which I think is the, that gratitude journal thing. Yeah. I have a hard time with, um, uh, I have like a relentless need to move forward. Yeah. You know, successful company, write a book, what's next? You know, yeah. like I th this idea of like being driven is good, but I do not, um, I need to appreciate where I'm at more often. I'm like never satisfied. And I think that's good. Like a taste of that is good. Yeah. But I over index on it, I think. And so I'm really trying this idea of gratitude um, and enjoying the journey is something I'm always working on. I think that it's a characteristic that it, uh, like, like basically every human characteristic, it cuts both ways when it's, yeah. when the volume's too high on that. On that one yeah, thing. my volume's too fucking high. <laughs> yeah, I need to turn that down. And just like sit and be like, oh man, it's amazing that I wrote a book. Yeah. You know, and I'm really proud of myself. But I'm like, how's it gonna sell? Like, where, you know, yeah. who's gonna read it? What are the reviews gonna be? You know, and I think that the volume's too high. And I'm like, constantly trying to turn the fucking volume down. That's what I need to be working on. We're trying to have a conversation yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. Turn the volume down. Another thing that I, um, again, part of uh, knowing you as well as I do, having just written a book myself, yeah. um, I think... Creative calling. Yeah, basically everybody out in, in who's listening right now has a... They're working on something. Yeah. And what we all want to know is that it's not just hard for us, that it's hard for other people, and that there's highs and lows. And I remember you recounting a story for me of your writing process in the 11th hour when it was just, it was crunch time. Yeah. So speaking of stories, like, yeah. tell me a story. I remember just enough to be dangerous, like not enough to, to tell it, but I'd like you to tell what it. Like, what was it that? Uh, it just, you went south. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, like at the end? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, uh, I mean, I, 
there was time I would I would go to like how did this is basically I would like about lock your process. My, yeah, I would like lock myself in. I was in my Miami actually. It was like super sunny out, <laughs> and I would lock. I would often like go for like four or five day stretches in a hotel room and just to get away, like sort of away from all the offices, away from the home life, and uh, sit in a hotel room and just like bang on the keyboards for fourteen or fifteen hours at a stretch. And I just remember this was like towards the end and it was like, you know, I had one more chapter and then like a final edit and then it was due and I was just reading through the whole thing. I was like, this fucking thing sucks. Like, I'm just going to like hit delete and start the whole thing over. Wow. And uh, I think, I think it's this, that, that's another volume turner where like no matter Obviously, it doesn't suck, and you should buy it because it's good. Oh, it's amazing! But uh, I think but, but I think this, like, it, you know, no matter where you are, or what stage, or how old you are in your life, you're always going to have insecurities about what you're creating, and you're always going to say, "Is the world going to like this?" Or you, there's like, you always have imposter syndrome, no matter what. Whether you're just starting something, whether you started something and it failed, and you're starting something new whether you're scared to start something, this, that imposter syndrome every person has and don't think that they don't have it. It's like, it's no matter where you are or what you've accomplished, you have it, I think. And it's about cranking that volume all the way down, like to off, <laughs> where yeah. you're like, no, I got this. Like, I'm as smart as anyone else out in the world and um, I've got this, like, I've got something to say and I'm gonna put it on paper and people are gonna like it. Um, and I think that, there's always those voices you have to like, it's like whack-a-mole. You just gotta like punch that voice down and it's, and it's it'll keep popping up and you gotta just keep punching it down. It's whack-a-mole. <laughs> it's whack-a-mole, that voice. And it never stops. Never stops. For no matter where you are or what you've accomplished. So again, we're sitting here in Mechanisms, offices in New York. You're wearing a white t-shirt and yeah. That's because uh, you wore a black one. Yeah, we're, this is good and evil here, folks. Yeah, you're, you're, you're the angel right yeah, now. That's right. Um, but I couldn't help but notice on the inside of your left arm, oh, yeah. you've got uh, a tattoo. Yeah. Walk me through that tattoo. Well, this is a tattoo from the book. Did you know that? I did. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I'm, you're I'm, teeing I'm, that up. I'm putting it together. See here? Yeah. So the these but are in order to, to get a tattoo, people generally have to be pretty serious about something. It has to be a marker in time for them. So these are um, symbols from the four principles of the book. So the lightning bolt is about originality because I talk a lot about David Bowie. Capturing lightning in a bottle. And the, this idea is um, generous, which is about this idea of like as you give, you will receive. So that's that symbol. This is the idea of empathetic like seeing yourself but then seeing the other person and it might not be exactly lined up but you can relate to them and then this is the idea of um, soulfulness which is just developing your pillars and your belief system so that that's the sort of Led Zeppelin sim symbiology <laughs> of uh, the soulful art of persuasion well it's a beautiful book Thank I you. think it's it is full of soul and it's also really tactical I think that's part of yeah. like there's so many, speaking of being a storyteller, there's yeah. so many stories and things that are, um, it really does an amazing job of going from like modern, like right now pop culture yeah. back to uh, things that are really resonant and have uh, um, 
nostalgia, like Kiss and all that stuff yeah. for me, or the, the punk rock stuff. And it's, it's an amazing book. I, uh, it's on my must-read list, so if you're at home listening to it, um, and if you sit at the intersection of creativity and entrepreneurship or, or creative and business and you want to make a living and a life doing what you love or you want the life skills to manifest your ideas in the world, you got to check it out. So congratulations on the book, bud. Thanks, bro. Appreciate super, it, man. Super, super good. Thank you. And uh, we're going to drop this right as launch happens and I, I just can't wait to see the results. I know it's going to be a huge success, awesome. man. Congrats. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.